You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. For my wife and I, um, we are part of Reality Carpinteria, a small beach town in California for a long time and on staff there. And about six years ago now, I felt real burdened to go plant a church and through a lot of different means in a lot of different ways, everything from, I mean, you name it, visions and dreams from people to answer prayer, God made it really clear that we were supposed to be uh, in Honolulu and plant a church. And it was really left field to us, but obviously not to God. And uh, man, it's been years and years of praying and anticipating and looking forward to and being excited about what God's going to do. And um, we began sharing that. And several of you in here felt also called to move your whole families to come. So praise God for that, to come from California also. And uh, we moved here a year ago, January, uh, my wife and I. And uh, just knowing that those few people and... Uh, like, like Butch said, just a couple of them and the Goodnights and the Johnsons and had a couple of people over to our house and we're like, hey, we're going to start this thing. You want to be a part of it? And um, we began praying and we began just going to the beach and barbecuing and, and praying. And that was the majority of last year. And God really, um, man, just knit that, that core team, that group together that just committed to uh, something before they saw it and stepped out in faith. It's been so neat to see God bless that and, and just be faithful with it. And uh, God opened up the doors of this school, which I went to 20, like 22 different places in town. Zero said yes, other than this school. We prayed God open the door, make it really clear. He made it really clear. And everything, I mean, from six years ago till now has just been God's doing and by God's grace. And uh, we've been in church now for a year. This is the 52nd Sunday of us meeting and God's just done exceedingly abundantly above all we can hope, ask, or imagine. And like Butch said, all of you guys um, are testimonies to that and the story of God meeting us every Sunday and at Ohana groups in the week and just how he's, he's really built this really rich community. And he's done so much, and I actually want to bring up a family right now as a way to testify of God's goodness and his faithfulness in a real tangible way. Um, I'd like to invite up the Johnson family right now. So let's give them some love. <laughs> so this is uh, Chris up here. You might have saw him. He's on stage playing. Uh, this is Desiree, and this is baby Liliana. So cutest baby imaginable. Um, so these guys were uh, part of the core team and were over at our house that, that day, uh, just a couple weeks in, and um, they fully just committed to being a part of this. Des heavily just started the kids' church and all things kids' church Des has made happen. Um, yes, it's true. Um, but we got pregnant and uh, little baby Lily had a pretty serious heart condition. And so they all had to move um, to the mainland so that they could have Lily and do a series of heart surgeries on her. And if you guys remember, we brought them up in front of you guys, um, February? When did you move? March? And prayed that God would do a miracle before Lily was born. Um, that and that God would do a miracle and heal and it would be better than we ever expected and God would do this amazing thing and Lily is a testimony of that. 
is a testimony of God's faithfulness in bodily form right there. Um, and just, I wanted to bring them up to welcome them back because they've been on the mainland for a long time. Chris has been uh, here and there because he's a firefighter, so he had to come back and put a couple shifts in. But um, it's incredible testimony of God being faithful and us as a community, him just knitting us together and answering you guys' prayers. And so as a way of saying thank you and also testifying of God's goodness, I wanted to bring these guys up and introduce you to one of the newest additions to our church, Lily. Um, praise God. So they're back now. Uh, Lily, you're amazing. We love you. We love you. We're so stoked that you're here with us. Let me pray for them real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into it. God, thank you so much for the Johnsons. Thank you, Lord, for this family and for the blessing they've been to our church. And we thank you, Lord, for the testimony that Liliana, her life is to our community just on the way that you've sustained them and healed her and used doctors and, and all that you've done to have her here back in Hawaii at church um, just several months after. And we're just so thankful for the ways in which you've, you've, you've done it, Lord. And so we just, as we do as a church, we just say yes and amen to all that you have done, but we're expectant for more. We know that you're just started in our community and in this, in this church, and so we just say yes and amen to what you're doing, and we love you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Love you guys. God is good. Amen? Amen. Um, well, hey, guys, this is our last Sunday in the book of Mark, so why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 42. We're going to... Uh, be reading the tail end of 15 and uh, getting into the rest of 16. Uh, Mark 15, and uh, we're going to start where we left off last week, which was in verse 42, and we'll read through uh, 16:8 and then pray. Mark 15:42 says this: "All this happened." On Friday, speaking of the crucifixion, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The Roman, uh, excuse me, the officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a, uh, brought a long sheet of linen cloth, then he took Jesus' body down from the cross. He wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Chapter 16. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, mother, uh, mother the Mary of, uh, excuse me, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for, uh, for, for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. 
The women, the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell, this is, tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you that it testifies of the resurrection, of your glorious resurrection that defeated sin, death, and the devil. And God, there is much to rejoice in today. There is much to worship you and praise you over. God, we thank you that you are risen. Thank you that you are alive, that the grave could not hold you. And so, God, as we study your word and look into it, we rejoice. We want to rejoice in who you are and what you've done and what that means for us. And so, God, speak to us through your word now. Anoint our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today is a a special day as a church, as a local expression of God's church universal. Our little church that meets at Ali Olani Elementary Cafeteria, this is a special day for us. It marks the one year of Sunday mornings here, and it's really cool how God has moved, right? The Johnsons are one example. You guys have all the stories, but God has, has started a work. He's doing a work, and he's not finished, and we're thankful for what he's done so far. And what's neat is that today marks six months exactly from where Easter was. We're kind of on this six-month mark. Started the church October 1st, and April was April, excuse me, uh, Easter was April 1st, and now we're six months later at our one-year anniversary. Um, and, you know, Easter's all about celebrating and rejoicing in the resurrection, That's why Easter is joyous. That's why it's celebratory. That's why we come and we gather as followers of Christ because Easter celebrates the resurrected Lord. And it's everything to us as believers. And today, as we end our study in the book of Mark, at the end of our one year as a church, and we look forward to a new chapter and a new season of of our church, it's just so fitting that we're starting this new season with looking at the resurrection. Like if there's anything that this church is to be founded upon, it's that Jesus is the senior pastor, he's the head honcho, he's in charge, and it's because of the cross and the resurrection why we gather. It's the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's as a church, like why we live and have our being and and exist. Like if you want to give us a motto, a catchphrase, a vision statement for Reality Honolulu, it's a community following Jesus and all that that means. But that's what it is. We're a community following Jesus, obedient to his word, filled with his spirit, doing life together and being on mission for his glory. That's us. Everything is founded on these very truths that we're studying these last few weeks, the cross and the resurrection that we see today. And that is the good news, Christians. Like, 
if there's anything that, you know, life is so hard sometimes, so complicated. It's really expensive to live in Hawaii. It's hard to do life. If you've got kids, if you're married, if you've got family situations, right? Life's complicated and it's hard. And there's sometimes where we forget what it's all about. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about the good news of Jesus' death and his glorious resurrection. And it's the foundation and cornerstone of our lives and this church. And what we will discover, if we didn't already know it already, is that the resurrection is everything. The resurrection is actually what gives the cross its power. It gives the validity to Christ as the Son of God that he did rise from the dead. The resurrection is of utmost importance. Some would say the resurrection itself is the crowning moment of the work of atonement provided by the Lord. It's the crowning moment of Christianity is the resurrection. But before we get into that and look into the implications of that for our lives, I want to address the ending of the book of Mark. Some of you may have been reading it when I just read it and say, you didn't finish the book of Mark. You only read to chapter 8. Well, no, I did. I did. I did actually read to the end. I'm referring specifically, I want to talk about for a second, verses 9 through 20. So verses 9 through 20, they're great, great verses. But we do not see them in the earliest manuscripts we have of Scripture. We see them in later manuscripts, but not in the earliest ones. You know, manuscripts... Uh, were taken over millennia, translated into different translations, into different languages, and that's the word that we have this morning. I mean, that's a very simplified. But they were their manuscripts. They were scrolls. They were written out by scribes. They were combi- compiled. They were translated into different languages. They were canonized, and that's how we have our Bible. Really rough um, Bible translation there for you. But in the earliest translations, the earliest manuscripts, we don't have verses 9 through 20. The thought is that those verses were added later. Were added later. And the reason being, some thoughts, are just that it kind of rounds out the book a bit more. You know, if you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is Peter... He wrote in his journal, eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And this guy, Mark, took all of Peter's eyewitness accounts and wrote the gospel of Mark. And Mark is like a cut to the chase kind of guy. There's no fluff. There's no interims. It's like a fast action movie. And verse 8 kind of lends to the thought that that's probably where Mark actually originally ended because it kind of leaves you hanging. Right? These women see Jesus or see, see his, the angel. The angel tells them Jesus is risen and they're like freaked out and they just start running and it ends with them just being frightened. That's the end of the book of Mark. And what we see here is um, the thought behind adding 9 through 20. It's just that it rounds it out to kind of make it look like or, or fit into the other gospels a bit. Now, the first question would be is like, well, are, are verses 9 through 20 true? Well, I would say yes, in that they don't contradict other scripture and it lines up with everything else. But would I say that verses 9 through 20 are the divinely inspired word of God? I would actually say no. 
I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, it's crazy. But we'll do a lot more study later. But originally, verse, up to verse 8 is what we have in the original manuscripts. What I would say is that we shouldn't treat it like the rest of the Word of God, those 9 through 12, but it's good stuff, but it's perhaps not the inspired Word of God. I mean, who doesn't like being able to walk on snakes, right? Have you read the rest of it? I don't know if you've read the rest of it because we didn't read it together, but it's all about the Great Commission and what the disciples will be able to do. And don't get me wrong, like being able to like walk on snakes and not get bit, this is cool. Drink poison and not get hurt. This is cool. I'm not saying that God can't do that or he hasn't done that or he will do that. I believe that he's totally able to do that. But I wouldn't read it the same and that's why we're not studying it today. So, but I want you to just be rest assured and rest easy in our text today that it is the inspired word of God up to Mark chapter uh, 16, verse eight. So don't trip out and don't worry what's happening. Are you good? Okay, just wanna make sure you know. That's why we didn't read it. Okay. Here we go. In our text today, what is happening? So what's happening? Jesus died on the cross. Pontius Pilate didn't believe it. He had a Roman officer check, made sure Jesus is dead. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, a, a kind of a secret follower of Jesus, wanted to care for Jesus' body, so actually gave his, his tomb up, his tomb reserved. He's kind of wealthy, so he had this tomb carved out into the rock. And he prepared Jesus' body, put Jesus into the tomb, rolled a huge stone in front of it, and it was done. Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the Messiah, he's dead. And so these women, they go to the tomb, and they brought things to anoint his dead body. They, they weren't thinking about resurrection at that point. They weren't. They brought things to anoint his body in that you would, according to Jewish culture, you would do that to someone that had died. And so they were just bringing, as they should, things to embalm the body and anoint the body after death. And what happens? Well, they hurry to the tomb in verse 5, it says, in verse chapter 16. They enter the tomb because the stone is rolled aside, and they saw a man sitting there dressed in a white robe, and it says that they were alarmed. That word alarmed there is actually the only time the word alarmed is used in the New Testament. I mean, it literally means like frightened, like beside yourself, like what is happening? And even though they're surprised, and even though they didn't come expecting the resurrection, it actually shouldn't have been surprising to them. Because it wasn't that, well, the truth is, is that Jesus told them this would happen. He told his followers, he told the crowds, he told the disciples, I will die and then rise again. He did this in Mark, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, over and over and over, Jesus prophesies about his own death and specifically his own resurrection. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says this. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own and I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. This is Jesus speaking prior to the crucifixion. The women go to the tomb. Jesus is no longer there. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. And an angel declares that Jesus is risen. Like that's what's happening here. 
on the Sabbath, on Sunday, three days after the cross, the women go and Jesus is no longer there. He is risen. And the validity of the resurrection and whether it happened or not or the nuances to that is for another time and another study. I'd love to like get into that with you. There's a lot there. Eyewitness accounts and who did it and what about this? We can do that for another time. I'm happy to dialogue and discuss that. But what we're doing today is, at least how I'm teaching it, is coming from the belief that what happened here is a historically accurate truth and it actually happened. That's what we believe. That's what I believe. That's what I'm teaching from today. I'm not trying to persuade you, for say. I'm teaching from the fact that I believe this is actually what happened. I believe that many of you here do also. And in light of that, I want to concentrate and have us take away three things. So if you're a note taker, here you go. Number one, why does the resurrection matter? Why does the res resurrection, what does the resurrection accomplish? And how does the resurrection change us? All right, so why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus had to rise from the dead? Like what's the point and why is it such a big deal? It matters because if it didn't happen, the Bible would say that we are still in our sins. We have not been freed from them. We have not been forgiven of them. They have not been washed white as snow. We are not righteous. We are not justified. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, we will still be in our sins. The Apostle Paul explains this at the end of his first letter to the church in Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians. It's his letter to that church. And there was a debate at the time in Corinth to whether it was possible for people to raise from the dead, specifically Jesus. Many did not believe that this was possible or this happened. And so Paul wrote this letter partly to address this. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 19. I have it up on PowerPoint for you. It says this, Paul speaking. For if there is no resurrection from the dead then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For if we have said that God raised from, uh, Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Paul would say, that the truth, the fact of the resurrection is tantamount and, and crucial, critical to Christianity on a whole. And he says, we're all lost, we're all in our sins, and we as Christians are the most to be pitied if the resurrection didn't, didn't happen. Because we're giving our lives and living for something that didn't do anything. But that is not what happened. He is risen. He is not here anymore. The resurrection is absolutely pivotal to the validity of Christianity. Without it, we have no faith. That's why it matters. Second, why, or excuse me, what does the resurrection accomplish? 
So that's why it matters. It's a big deal. What does it accomplish? The power over sin, the power over death, and the power over the devil. These are the three things, the three huge things that the resurrection does. The first thing, the power over sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the penalty of sin and for the wages of sin. If you weren't here the last two weeks, we went in depth to that. And we believe that Christ's death paid our price and our penalty of sin, satisfying the debt of sin that we caused, but now he's raised to life again. See, Christ didn't stay dead. He rose from the tomb to life again, defeating the power and the penalty of sin. Do you see that? If he didn't rise from the dead, he just would have been defeated. He would have paid the price, and if he didn't rise, he just would have been, he would have paid the price, and it just would have been there, and there would be no victory, and he would not have overcome sin. Power over death, the thing is that death did not have the final word with our Lord. The grave wasn't the end all. That's not where he stayed. He was there for three days and then he rose again. We believe in like the physically, physical, bodily resurrected Christ and what happened. And due to the fact that Christ raised from the dead, he conquered death. In that same letter that Paul wrote to the, first, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and death itself. Acts 2.24 also says this. I have it on the PowerPoint. But God raised him up again, speaking of Jesus, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. He defeated sin, he defeated death, and the resurrection and the death of Christ on the cross actually defeated the power of the devil as well. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. We were dead because of our sins, and because of our sinful nature, it was not yet cut away. Then God made us alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The resurrection of Christ literally defeats the power of, the, of sin, death, and the devil in one fell swoop. I mean, it's that big of deal. And all of this, the fact that our Lord died for us, then rose from the dead, gives him complete validity as the son of God. 
Like the resurrection verifies once and for all the truthfulness of the deity of Christ. It's one thing. It's one thing to perform miracles. It's one thing to have good teachings. It's one thing to to be an eloquent teacher and and one that's persuasive. And it's another thing to die in someone else's place and then rise from the dead afterwards just like you said you would. A little bit different than giving a good sermon. The cross and the resurrection specifically once and for all made it clear who Jesus was. And this is the truth that we still stand upon to give validity to our faith. That our God didn't say, oh, I want you to die for me. Our God said, I want to die for you. Compare that to any other religion, you won't find it. Then our God said, I'm going to die for you so that you don't have to, and I'm going to raise again so I can give you new life. That's our Jesus. That's our God. Romans 1, 3, and 4 sums this all up. He says, it says, Paul speaking to the church in Rome, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. He was shown to be the son of God when he raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit that he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection proves Christ's identity as the son of God. Are you with me? I hope this is like blowing your mind because it should. But this is where it comes home right now. Okay, that's awesome, right? 2,000 years ago, this happened in Jerusalem, right? And, and for most of us, we believe it. For most of us, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection, these are all good things. Amen to what you just said. But how does that change us? Like, how does the resurrection affect us or how should it? What should it do to us? And this is where if you've tuned out, because I don't know, I'm talking too fast or sweating too much. If you've done that, then tune back in. How does the resurrection change us? We share in it. The resurrection gives us our own salvation, right? The the whole reason that Christ went to the cross was to save us. He's the one that was perfect. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to pay for sins because he didn't sin. He did it for us so that we could share in his victory. Like we share in Christ's resurrected life, meaning that if we believe in him, if we accept him, if we give our lives to him, if if we're born again, if we're believers, followers, whatever you want to call it, we now share in the power over what? Sin, death, and the devil. So we live from a place of victory because we share in Christ's finished work. We share in the resurrection power. And so now we live from a place of victory over the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Practically and most importantly is that in in, in John, Jesus promised to give us life and that abundantly. 
And that is precisely what the resurrection does for us. It gives us abundant, resurrected life here and now, and it gives us the promise of eternal life with him in heaven. The resurrection gives us that abundant life that he promised us. This is what I mean by that. Christ's resurrection gives us new life. Look at Romans chapter 6 for a second. I have on the PowerPoint. A lot of verses, but I got them all up here for you. Romans 6, 4 and 11 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Right? We died with him on the cross. Our sins died on the cross. So that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We share in his death. We share in his life. 1 Peter 1.3 says the same thing. We have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what that means. The resurrection breaks the power and penalty of sin and it frees us from condemnation. You, you no longer have to live in guilt and in condemnation of the stuff that you've done or in the ways in which you've done wrong in this life. The resurrection deals with our brokenness. It actually starts healing our brokenness. The resurrection gives us new life to replace mourning with dancing. What the resurrection does is it restores and it renews and it redeems us. The resurrection changes everything. And the truth is that we are no longer defined by what we've done, but we now are defined on, by what Christ has done. Like that's the standing that we have in light of the resurrection. So many times we line our own lives up to what we've done, how much we've succeeded, how much we've failed, who we've let down or how we're doing. And that is our worldview. That is the thing that makes us feel good and our self-worth and our self-importance is based upon those factors. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ says, no, it's not. You are not defined by your successes or your failures. You're defined by the finished work of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we stand in perfect standing now with God, freed from sin, freed from the wages of sin, freed from shame, freed from condemnation, and literally, that's why we get the word born again, new life. The old has passed away and the new has come. We walk in the resurrected life here and now. See, we no longer have to live with the life that we've messed up. Like if you just feel like, man, I just, I'm just living with all my bad decisions right now. And I just feel the weight of it everywhere I look. Well, look no further than the resurrection because that does not define you. That is not you, but you now live in and through Christ's resurrected life. Isn't that crazy? Here's what's even crazier. I'm going to blow your mind a bit more. God has given us his spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. 
to walk out this abundant, resurrected life here and now. Literally, God gives us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. And I don't know if you understand this verse or the weight of it, but let me read it real quick. Romans 8, 11. This is speaking to believers. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he also raised Christ from the dead and will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Shortened version. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Think about that. The same spirit that raised our Lord from the depths of the grave The resurrected power of the Spirit of God lives in us. So it's not like you walk out of this room and you're like, okay, I just need to like live. I need to try harder. I need to like do things better. I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And no, no, no. What it is is you need to ask God for the strength to do it and live out your life because the Holy Spirit's in you. And man, who can... You cannot do it on your own. You have the spirit of God in you. And so we need to access that and say, God, help me. You've given me your spirit. Now help me to walk in that abundant life. Isn't that crazy? Okay, it gets better. It's better. What it also means for us, the resurrection, is that his death means no death for us. Better. Not only here, but coming. His death means no death for us. Check this out. John 11, 25 through 26. Jesus speaking, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 says it again. His resurrection means our resurrection. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. By the power of God, Jesus is alive, and by the grace of God in Christ, so are we. This should give us tremendous hope. Hope that not only do we have abundant, resurrected, free life here, but to come, there's the hope of eternity. And the hope that we have when we set our eyes on eternity is that God will be with us, free of all sin and the effects of sin. And he promises in the book of Revelation that he will make all things right, that there will be no pain, There'll be no tears, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no disease. There won't be any news channel to turn on to see bad news. There's no newspaper headline to read saying bad news. It'll be only good, only right, only glorious, and only wonderful. The resurrection gives us great hope for eternity, and that hope should be an anchor for us every day here and now. One of my favorites, Tim Keller, speaks to that right now. He says this, speaking of the resurrection for everyday life. He says, the resurrection will change everything about how you live in the present. For example, why is it so hard to face suffering? 
Why is it so hard to face disability or disease? Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, and even your life? Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of a loved one? It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. It's easy to feel as if this money is the only wealth we'll ever have, as if this body is the only body we'll ever have. But if Jesus is risen, then your future is much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. That is the hope that we have. The resurrection means that we can look forward to the day when our suffering will be gone. Today... And our church is a turning point from one year to the next. We've survived a year. We're still going. And it's a turning point from one season to the next. But as we continue on, let us build the foundation of this church upon these truths that Jesus rose from the dead and it gives us abundant life. Let these truths be comforting to us that Christ is not here, he is risen. And so church, let us live in light of the resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these wonderful, amazing truths. God, we thank you that death does not have the final word that you have given us life abundantly and life eternal. And God, we thank you that it is very clear that you did it for us, that you did it so that we could share in this. And so God, I pray that the resurrection would take on new meaning to our everyday life, in our families, in our marriages, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, I pray that the resurrection truths, the truths that were freed from the power and penalty of sin would give us new life to walk out in our lives. So Holy Spirit, would you give us strength to do so? We, 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 we believe, we trust in, and we ask that you would strengthen us with that resurrection power, the power that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in us. So God, as we worship you now, we want to worship you for who you are and what you've done in our lives, in this church, on the cross. We want to rejoice and celebrate your faithfulness. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.